you, Andrew. Good morning, everyone. Uh, there is an outline for today's sermon there in the bulletin if you would like to uh, follow along or take any notes. So how about I will pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage uh, of Jesus' words to us here in John chapter 15 today. And we pray that you will speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you may know, last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And in the afternoon, down at the Royal Randwick Shopping Centre, there was one particular shop that was very busy indeed. It had a very long queue snaking all the way out of the shop. And this is a shop that isn't particularly busy on any other day of the year. It was the florist. Now, I think this long queue on Ash Wednesday may have had something to do with the fact that it was also Valentine's Day, hence the very long queue snaking out of the florist. But has anyone thought to tell these people that they're lining up to buy something that is actually dead, or at the very least in terminal decline? Now, of course, most people like flowers, don't they? And that's absolutely fine. But if you think about it, Once you cut the flowers, even if you do put them in water, even if you do give them some sun and some plant food, they're not going to last very long. So why do we like them so much? Well, they look alive, don't they? No one particularly likes them once they start to die. That's when when you throw them out. But they look alive. They look as though they're going to stay that way, and they bring joy, which is wonderful. But that's fine for flowers. What about for us? What does it mean for a Christian to be truly alive? Today's passage in John chapter 15, it encourages us that to be truly alive, we need to stay in the true vine and not be cut off. This passage comes in a larger section in the Gospel of John where he's speaking to his disciples and preparing him for the fact that he is going away. They're understandably nervous and anxious about this. And they must be wondering at this point, how can I have a relationship with Jesus when he's no longer here? It's a question that many people today ask as well. How can we have a relationship with Jesus when we know he is in heaven? How can we stay connected? Well, this passage encourages us to see how we can do that as well through God's Holy Spirit. And so the first point here is that a living branch, to remain alive, stays connected to Jesus. Verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. In the Old Testament, you see, it was very common for a vineyard or a garden to be a symbol for Israel, the covenant people of God. But whenever Israel was referred to as a vineyard, so often it was also said that they would produce bad fruit, that things were not going the way it should. But Jesus is the true vine. You need to stay connected to him. His disciples, they must have been tempted to think, well, We know Jesus, therefore whatever else happens in life, we're going to be fine, aren't we? No matter what we do, no matter what decisions we make, 
We knew Jesus when he was walking around here on earth. But no, they had to stay connected. They couldn't just assume. For us today, we haven't walked around Jesus here on earth. But we might fall into the trap of thinking, well, I was baptized. I was confirmed. I know when I became a Christian. I know when I prayed a prayer asking for God's forgiveness and I repented. And they're all good things and things we can look back on fondly, but we need to stay connected. We can't just assume. We need to stay living branches. But in verse 2, a living branch needs pruning. The sun is, of course, central to this whole metaphor of the vine and the branches, but the father is not just there in the background watching on. He is trimming and pruning branches, even cutting off the dead ones. The role of the father is to do good here. Yes, it may be painful, but every branch, no matter how little or how much fruit it is producing, can produce more. That is a good thing. And we know through the Christian life that God will point out to us aspects of our character, our decisions, what we decide is most important that need pruning, priorities we have that are getting in the way of us being more fruitful for his sake. He's even telling this to his disciples, those who knew him at the time he was walking around here on earth. And he tells them in verse 3 that they are clean because of the word he has spoken to them. It's the equivalent of the life of a vine pulsating through the branches, providing life to them as well. So a living branch needs pruning, but a living branch can bear fruit. Now, we might take that for granted, but think about it, a dead branch It can't bear anything, can it? It can't even keep itself alive, let alone bear fruit. Jesus tells his disciples to remain in him as he remains in them so that they can be fruitful there in verse 4. And so a branch that is fruitful knows that it is truly in the vine. And so this passage is full of encouragement, but there's also warning. In verses 5 and 6, that a dead branch, well, it can't do anything, can it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Once you cut some flowers and put them in a vase, no matter how much water, no matter how much plant food you give them, they're not going to last that long, are they? They're going to wither and die. You could do other things as well to try and keep up the pretense that they're still alive. Maybe you could put some paint on the flowers. Maybe you could put them behind a picture of some real flowers. Maybe you could put them in a dark part of the room and hope that people won't really notice. But the problem's only going to become more and more apparent. But why would a branch willingly choose to be cut off from the vine? It makes no sense, would it? But Jesus wouldn't give it as a warning if it weren't a real danger. Why would we be tempted 
to cut ourselves off from Jesus, knowing that he is the one who gives us life in the spirit. Well, we could think that we can do it ourselves, that we can give ourselves the spiritual life that we need, that somehow Jesus gets us going and then we're fine for the rest of our lives. We could end up thinking that something else is going to give us life instead, something good that God has made, but instead of recognizing that God has made it, we replace God with that very thing, thinking that that is going to give us life. It's possible even to be nervous about being connected to the vine because if we are, Jesus promises that there'll be pruning and that sounds painful, that sounds uncomfortable, no matter how much good comes out of it in the end. We might even be nervous about bearing spiritual fruit. What is that? What does it look like? Are we prepared for it? And so that brings us to the next section here. Point number three, what does fruit look like? Well, there are hints throughout the passage, but I think here in verses seven and eight, there's a great encouragement. First of all, that spiritual fruit is God answering our prayers. In the second half of verse seven, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a comfort it is, but what a terrible part of a verse to take out of context because it can't be read without the first half of the verse. Yes, God answers our prayers. And we should pray in a way that we expect that he will answer our prayers. But the first half of verse 7 is so important. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. God answers our prayers when our prayers are according to his will. This is part of the relationship that we have with him. And so as we become more and more connected to Christ, as we become more fruitful, as there's even more pruning in our lives, we can expect that our prayers will be more aligned to his will as we get to know him better through his word to us. And this is not for our glory, but for his. Verse 8, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so there are examples of fruitfulness in this passage, obedience, a desire for others to be grafted in as well, all sorts of things. Even the desire to come before God in prayer is a form of fruit. But there's no one size fits all here. A fruitful Christian life is not going to look the same for every person here, depending on your stage of life, your, uh, what gifts God has given you, what opportunities you have. But whatever situation you're in, a fruitful life looks like God answering our prayers according to his will for his glory. And when you get to be part of that, when you experience your prayers answered, knowing that they were good prayers that were according to God's will, his will to see people around us saved, his will for us to become more like Christ, his will for good to happen in the world, and that this is something that you glorify God for as a result, you can know that you are truly alive because of Christ. Now, 
This whole passage is not just about staying alive, as good as that is, but staying in a relationship with God, in his love. Our fourth point there, stay in Jesus, (coughs) stay connected to him, to stay in his love. And this isn't any love. This is love that comes from the Father. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, verse 9. We can trust this love because of where it comes from and who it was first between, the Father and the Son, the same love that Jesus then shares with those that are in him. This is also a love that comes from obedience. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. We might think, how is this a loving relationship to keep Jesus' commands? But it's just as he has kept his own father's commands. We saw in our other reading there today from Hebrews, when Jesus was in the wilderness, he was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. And that is because he was obedient to his father's will. He was obedient even to the cross. And so... He kept his father's commands and remained in his love. And so we can stay in Jesus' love in just the same way. Thirdly, it's a love that brings joy. The joy that Jesus has is the joy that he can share with us as well. And this isn't just fleeting human happiness. As good as that can be on occasion, but it depends on so many different factors coming together, doesn't it? How much sleep we've had, how much exercise we've had, what we've eaten recently, what we're going through in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, what conversations we've had, if we've had any time off, what health we're dealing with in our lives as well. But this joy, Jesus says in verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is a joy in knowing that we are in Christ. We are in the vine, and he is in us, meaning that he, as the vine, gives life to us, a fruitful life. Also, this is the love of a true friend, not just a master. He says in verse 12, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. That's self-evidently true. To lay down your life for a friend would be an amazing self-sacrifice, something that more than anyone could ask for. But we know there is one example where it truly did happen. Jesus lay down his life for his friends. Now, yes, he gave his life for the world, as other verses say, particularly Uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. But it's also true that he died for his friends. And he's talking to his friends here, his disciples. But this isn't just a friendship in the modern sense. Two people who enjoy doing things together, who are on the same wavelength, who look out for each other. This can even be a, a deep and fruitful and really helpful friendship. But that's not what is on display here. You see, our friendship with Jesus. It can't be properly reciprocal, can it? The friends of Jesus cannot turn around and say that Jesus will be their friend when he does what they say. They can't give up their lives for Jesus in the way that he has given up his for us. 
He says in verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command. But this is the kind of saying that you wouldn't expect from a friend that we have in our lives today, is it? If a new friend said to you, you have to be obedient to them, you're more likely to to run a mile from that friendship, and, and rightly so. But Jesus is comparing this friendship with the servanthood that God's people had previously in the Old Testament. You see, the difference between a friend and a servant in this context is that a servant or a slave, they need to just obey their master without question, without knowing why, without understanding the reasoning behind. But here, Jesus is still commanding his friends, his disciples, but he's letting them in on the inner mind of God, why he is commanding them, what he is wanting them to do, what the end goal is to spread the good news of who he is and what he has done to make more disciples. They are being let in on this wonderful truth to be able to share this and the friendship with more and more people. Now, just in case they were tempted to feel proud of their wonderful position and puffed up that they have ended up connected to such an amazing vine, Jesus makes sure they have a bit of humility. In verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. How hard is it to find fruit that will last? How often do you go to the shop and buy some fruit that looks good and the moment you bring it home and put it in the fridge, it somehow turns into some kind of green sludge there at the bottom of the fridge? It might not be quite that quick to you, but I'm sure you've had experiences where fruit does not last. What he's talking about here, though, is fruit that will last into eternity. And so what is the fruit that we could have with one another, with the world around us that will last? Well, it's relationships with each other that will continue into the new creation. It's relationships with those outside the church that encourage them to follow Jesus so that they may continue into the new creation as well. That is fruit that will last. And so this is a call to remain in Christ, but also a call to be on mission as well. Jesus' mission, part of what it means to be fruitful. And again, this is going to look different for each person, for each person in Christ. But this is going to be part of a fruitful life for each person in Christ as well. And so the Old Testament Jews would have needed to ask themselves, do I live in God's vineyard? Am I still connected to God? But for us... We ask, are we attached to Jesus, the true vine? Because to be truly alive, not just giving off some imitation of life, to be truly alive, we need to stay connected to the true vine. So let's now pray that that is what we will do. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your Son, Jesus, is the true vine and that we as the branches have life in him. Help us to have a great desire to stay in him as he is in us and gives life to us. Father, we pray 
that during this time of year, in the lead up to Easter, we will remember that Jesus has been a true friend to sinners like us, even dying on the cross for us. And we pray that that will lead us to great joy in knowing you and knowing him as our Lord and Saviour and friend. And in his name we pray. Amen.